Thank you for joining us for this week's message from Highland Park Baptist Church. The preaching and teaching ministry of Highland Park is led by our pastor, Dr. Jeremy Wallace. Our desire is to help you grow in your faith so that you can better glorify God, make disciples, and love others. To learn more, visit us at hpbc.church. Now, here's this week's message. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, let me encourage you to grab them and turn with me, if you will, to the passage we just read a few moments ago, Revelation chapter 2. I am the oldest of three. I have two brothers and a sister. And me and my two brothers, as you can imagine, like to fight. Um, I remember one time in specific, I... I told the early service this morning that I, I used to love getting mail, but now when I get the mail, it's junk mail or bills, and so I'm not that excited about it anymore. When you're little, usually the mail you get is a birthday card with a $20 bill in it. That, that's changed. It doesn't happen anymore. But I remember one time, I, it was around my birthday, and I was expecting a birthday card, and I was looking for it, and I couldn't find it, and it turned out that my brother had got my card had opened it, and had taken the $20. And so I proceeded to tell him, that is illegal. You know what he said? So? He didn't care. And so we had a brotherly talk about that. Um, like, I, like I said, we like to fight. Did any of you ever fight with your siblings? No? We're going to talk about lying next week. (laughs) Well, what we are doing this morning, in essence, is reading someone else's mail. We are in the middle of a series called Seven Letters, and what we are doing is going through the seven letters to the seven churches in Asia Minor. And Revelation chapter 2 and Revelation chapter 3 contain those seven letters. And we're trying to strike a balance. Because on one hand, we want to look at these letters from a historical perspective and say, okay, what was Jesus saying to these churches? Because these letters are from Christ and they're written to these churches and they're looking and analyzing these churches and they're pointing out some of the challenges and problems and errors in these churches. So we want to understand that from a historical perspective, but not only a historical perspective, because we want to learn about them, but we also want to learn from them. And that's part of the reason why this is in Scripture is so that we can learn from them and say, okay, perhaps there are some things in these churches, some challenges that they faced and problems that they had and errors and mistakes that they had made that we can learn from. And so my my my, my prayer as we go through this is not just that we can say, okay, look at that church, they had that problem, and then move on. My prayer as we go through this is that we can look at these churches and say, what is it that we need to adjust What is it in us that we can learn? Perhaps maybe we have some of these same problems and we don't even know it. And so we need to pray and say, God, show this to us. And so I want to start the service completely different this morning. I want us to bow together for a word of prayer. And what I want us to do is almost view this as a time where we are specifically asking God to show us what he wants us to see in our lives, in our families, and in our churches. And so this is not a time to pray for all the missionaries around the world. We, we do that. We want to pray for missionaries. This is a time very specifically to ask God to speak to your heart. So let's bow together and ask God to do just that. 
Our Heavenly Father, again, as we open your word together, God, we understand the privilege this is as well as the responsibility that this is. And so, God, we come with a, a seriousness, but God, we come knowing that your word speaks and that you speak to us through your word. And so we ask very specifically this morning that you would speak to our hearts as only you can do. That you would move among us as only you can do. That you would convict us as only you can do. That you would show us where we have strayed as only you can do. And that God, as a result of our time together this morning, we are more keenly aware of who you have called us to be and what you have called us to do. And that we would be willing in our own hearts and in our own lives to make those changes and adjustments so that we can more closely walk with you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We already read the passage of Scripture together, Revelation chapter 2, starting in verse 1. We're going to explain some of the things in verse 1 in just a moment. But I want to dive right in. On the back of your bulletin, you'll see an outline. There's quite a few blanks on that. We're going to go through this quickly, but all of this works together. Because this letter to the church at Ephesus naturally divides into four different sections. And in those four different sections, we see different aspects of Jesus' evaluation of the church. And I want you to look at it that way. I want you to look at this text as Jesus' evaluation of the church at Ephesus. And as we're going through that, ask yourself the question, what would be Christ's evaluation of us? If Christ were to walk in and write a letter to us, what would it be? And so... I want to dive in with A, Christ's praise, because as we begin looking at this letter to the church at Ephesus, it begins on a high note. This is praise. There there are good things that this church is doing. And let me just mention some of these to you quickly. Number one, you see that they were busy working. The title of the message this morning is working with working without loving. And we're going to see that component. But they were busy working. Look at verse two. Jesus says, I know your works and your labor. And this is the idea that they labored to the point of exhaustion. They were busy. They were active. They were working. They were serving. They were all, they always had something going on. You know, this reminds me of, of how many people we have involved in serving in our hoops program. I mean, some people were here yesterday nine, ten hours. And, and we could go throughout the year. There's different activities and different ministries and different programs. This church at Ephesus, Christ looks at them and says, I praise you, I commend you because you're active, you're busy, you're working. They, they were diligent. They did not have a spectator mentality. They were not looking to be entertained. They were busy in ministry. Number two, they endured difficulties. In verse two also, he says, I know your works and your labor and your endurance. Verse three, you also possess endurance and have tolerated many things because of my name and have not grown weary. They had endured trying circumstances. Perhaps there had been things that had come into the church or things, attacks from without that provided trying circumstances and difficulties. And as you know, sometimes life can just be difficult and it can be hard and it can be trying and it can weigh us down. But through that, this church had endured. They had persevered. They had responded with faith. And as these difficult times began pouring down and raining down on them, they they stood firm in their faith. Number three. It says that they refuse to tolerate evil. You notice verse 2 again. I know your works, your labor, your endurance, and that you cannot tolerate evil. They were sensitive to sin. I mean, as sin would begin to creep into the church, they would deal with it. As there were problems and sin in people's lives, they would deal with it. It was not something to be swept under the rug, but something that says, we need to address this. 
They did not overlook sin in the community, meaning they, they took a stand on truth and they were willing to take a stand on truth. They refused to tolerate evil. Number four, they had spiritual discernment. Verse 2 goes on, says, You have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and you have found them to be liars. And this time, God's word was not yet completely put together, not completely being written and compiled. And so there'd be people who'd stand up in the church and they would say, I'm an apostle, I speak on behalf of God. And there had to be a system in the church for determining whether someone really spoke for God or whether someone was an imposter. And they were sensitive to this. They had spiritual discernment so that when people stood up and said, I'm speaking on behalf of God, they had a system in place to judge whether or not what was being communicated was actually truth. I mean, they were not afraid to tell someone, no, this is not from God. You need to be quiet. They had spiritual discernment. Number five, they resisted false teaching. We skip down to verse six. You see these words. Yet you do have this. You hate the practice of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. We don't know a lot about the Nicolaitans, but one thing we do know is that it was a false teaching that that mixed idolatry with immorality. And so as this began to become more prominent in Ephesus, they took a stand against that and said, we do not want this in our church. This is not consistent with truth. This is not consistent with the Bible. We stand against this. They resisted any kind of false teaching. They held to truth. Now, if we stop right here, this is a good church, isn't it? I mean, if you read about this, this is a church. I mean, who would not want to be this church? They're working hard. They take a stand on truth. They resist false teaching. They, they don't tolerate evil. They have spiritual discernment. I mean, everything that we've just gone through sounds like the perfect church. I mean, let's be like the church at Ephesus. I mean, it all sounds great. And in fact, I think all of those things are realities here. I mean, I think, I've seen so many people who are working hard and we always have something going on. We are laboring. We are working. I, I think we refuse to tolerate evil and, and I think we do, right? All right. How about the balcony? All right, make sure you're all awake up there. We refuse to tolerate evil. I mean, we, we pursue holiness. I mean, we, we have spiritual discernment, I think, and it, we, we hear false teaching. We, we resist that. I mean, I, I think all of these things are characteristics of us. And if we look at that and we stop right there, I mean, this sounds like the ideal church. Who would not want to be a church like this? But what we have to notice is that the passage does not stop. Because there was a fatal flaw. There was a cancer that was eating at the heart of this church that really threatened the life of this church. And so notice, secondly, Christ's concern. So Christ's praise is great. And when he looks at this church and says, you're doing good, those are all great things. But those great things do not mean that we can ignore the flaw or the concern that Christ has. Notice verse 4. He says, but I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Here's Christ's concern. They had left their first love. Despite all of the good... Despite all of the activity, despite all of the busyness, despite the stand on truth and despite their unwillingness to or their unwillingness to let evil and sin creep into the church, despite all of the good things that they were doing, 
Christ had walked in, walked among them, read past and looked past all of the kind of the fronts that they had established and said, I see all the good things that you're doing, but when you get to the heart of the matter, there is something missing. There is a flaw that if it is not fixed, will destroy your church. And that flaw was that they had lost their first love. Even though they maintained doctrinal integrity, and even though they stayed busy, and even though they resisted sin and protected truth, something had changed. See, at this point when this was written, the church at Ephesus was about 40 years old. And when this church had started some 40 years earlier, all of these same things were true, but all of these things were motivated by a love for God and a love for others. So their 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 busyness and their activity was motivated because they loved God and they loved others. They wanted to demonstrate that. And their stand on truth was motivated by a love for God and a love for others. And their their spiritual discernment and all of these things that Christ praised 40 years earlier was all motivated by their love for God and their love for others. But something had changed because now it was no longer motivated by love. The love that once characterized them was gone. The love that once motivated them had disappeared. The love that once drove them to do what they did in their church and in their community and drive their activity and drive their busyness had gone. Love had disappeared from their ministry. And Christ is looking at them and said, this is a major, major problem. This loss of love for Christ had opened the door to spiritual apathy. And how many of you know that it is possible to stay busy, but spiritually apathetic? I mean, it is possible to do all the activity and have all of the busyness, but not really care about your relationship with God. It is possible to go through all of the motions of ministry, but not really be concerned with your love for God. It is even possible to be involved in ministries that reach out, but not necessarily even care about and love the people that those ministries are designed to reach. One of the things Jason and I were talking about this week as we were discussing this text was, if love had originally been the motivation for everything that they were doing, all those things that Christ commended them for and praised them for, if love had originally been the motive for all of that, But now love was gone, Christ says. Why were they still doing it? I mean, if love was no longer the motive behind their business and behind their stand on truth and behind their pursuit of morality, behind their spiritual discernment, if love was not motivating that, why keep on doing all of those things? Because it sure is a lot easier to sit around and do nothing. Why? And so we just started writing down things that popped in our heads. And one thing popped in our head was habit. I mean, maybe they were just doing the same things they had always done, but instead of being motivated by love, now it was just habit. They'd, they'd lost sight of the God that they had loved, and they were just doing ministry because they've always done ministry, and now it's just, we just do this because it's what we do, it's habit. And we thought, well, maybe it's reputation. I mean, maybe if they're concerned, if we stop doing all of these things, then people will look at us differently, and we can't have that, so we've got to keep doing everything. It's not the love for God, and it's not really the love for people. We care about our reputation. Maybe it's the reputation with other churches or maybe it's just the reputation of the community. I mean, we want everybody to think that we're a great church and we got to keep doing all this stuff. It's reputation. Or maybe it's just self-gratification. Maybe we think if we do all this and we take this stand on truth and we pursue this standard of holiness and we stay active and we stay busy that, that we'll feel better about ourselves. 
I mean, if it's not love, it has to be something else. Maybe it's pride. See, when we lose our first love, when we, we lose sight of our love for God and we're no longer focused on our love for God and we're no longer pursuing the love of God and the love of others, it is still possible to do everything exactly the same that you were always doing, but the attitude is different, the motive is different, the reason is different, and it may fool everyone else, but Christ is looking in, like we talked about last week, with the eyes of fire, and he sees past everything, and he sees the heart. And when he looked at the church of Ephesus, he says, I see everything you're doing, and that's all good, and that's all great. But the problem is, it's no longer motivated by the love of God. It's no longer motivated by the love of other people, and it will destroy your church. And I don't even know that they had noticed it happening. And and this is where it is possible to start out here on fire for God, pursuing a relationship with God, living a life of praise and worship to God. But over time, without even knowing it, you're still still doing the same things you have always done, but the fire's gone. And apathy has slipped in. And the love is not there, and the concern is not there, and it's just happened gradually over time. Maybe you're there right now. I mean, if you're honest, maybe that's where you're sitting right now. You're busy, you're active, you're working to the point of exhaustion, you're doing all of these things, you're willing to take a stand on truth, and you're striving for holiness, but the love is gone. Jesus says there's a problem. So how do we fix it? I mean, those of you this morning who are at that place and you say, I've lost my first love. And no one else really knows it, but I know it in my heart and God knows it. And if I'm looking at my life, I've lost my first love and I'm still doing everything that I've always done. But the love is gone. The love for God, the love for other people, it's kind of disappeared. How do we fix that? Well, thankfully, the next verse in our text gives us three things that we can do. Notice thirdly on your outline, Christ's command. Verse 5 says this. Remember then how far you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. Let's pause right there. That part of the verse naturally breaks down into three three phrases. And each phrase kind of gives us an instruction, a command that we're to follow. So if you're at that place this morning, you say, I've lost my first love. I, I haven't even noticed it, but God's speaking to me right now. I realize it. Here's how you fix that. Number one, remember. Remember. Think back in your life to where you were more, a time when you were more on fire for God. Think back to a time in your life where everything you did was motivated by a love for God and it was motivated by a love for other people and you were not just going through the motions. Think back to that place where you, you, you desired to worship and you could not wait to get together with other believers so that you could praise and you could worship God and that was the highlight of your week and you longed to grow in your relationship with God. Think back to a time in your life Remember that time. Secondly, repent. I mean, it says it right there in the middle of the verse, doesn't it? Repent. Now, why would he tell us to repent? I mean, can I just kind of reorganize my priorities a little bit? I mean, can I just kind of try to focus on that a little bit more? No, the reason why he says to repent is because this is a sin issue. I mean, we have to call it what it is. 
It's not just a little mix-up. I mean, it's a loss of priority. It's a, in its own way, it's idolatry. Where we have placed other things more important than our relationship with God. So Christ says, remember where you were. Remember time in your life where you pursued Him. Remember that. Then repent of the sin. And then number three, prove your repentance. Prove your repentance. Notice what he says in the verse. Verse 5. Remember then how far you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. Do the works you did at first. The idea here is that if we simply just remember and we say this prayer where we say, God, forgive me, I repent of this. But yet there's not the works that back up our repentance, then it's not going to lead to life change. I mean, how many of you have ever, don't raise your hand, we don't need public time of confession. I'm sure there's been times in our lives where we have sat in church, the, the Lord has, has spoke to us, we've sat there, made a decision, and we've walked out, and nothing's really changed. What we are interested in, and what Christ is interest, interested in, is, is transformation, change. Prove your repentance, meaning do the works you did at first. If, if there was a time where you were closer to God, think back. What were you doing then that, that fueled the flame of your passion for God? Think back to that time where you pursued Him. Do the works that you do then. Prove your repentance. Now, you may be tempted to think that, well, this is not really that big of a deal. But I want you to understand that this is a big deal. I want you to notice, fourthly, Christ's warning. Christ's warning. Look at verse 5 again. We've already read the first part of the verse. But notice it says, Otherwise, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Unless what? Unless you repent. So the question we have to answer if we're going to understand this verse is, what does the lampstand represent? Go back with me, if you will, to chapter 1, verse 20. Chapter 1, verse 20 Tells us what the lampstand represents. The secret of the seven stars you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands is this. So here's what they represent. The seven stars are the seven angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So what does the lampstand represent? The church. So when Christ says in verse five, otherwise, unless you repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand. He is saying, if there is not repentance, I will come and I will remove your church. So you think this is a big deal. I mean, you say, well, look at all the good they were doing. They were busy and they were active and they took a stand on truth and they pursued holiness and they had spiritual discernment. Christ says, no, that is not the most important thing. The most important thing is your love for me. And if you do all of these other things and you ignore me, you ignore the pursuit of me, you ignore your love for me. I don't care how busy you are. I will remove my presence and I will remove my hand of blessing and I will move and I will take away everything that is keeping you alive. And what is interesting about this church at Ephesus, it no longer exists. It closed. It chose to ignore the warning of Christ. 
So when we say this morning that this is a big deal, that the loss of our first love is not something that we can simply just make a little adjustment here, that there needs to be repentance. If, if you're here this morning and you say, I am here and I have lost my first love, then there is, there is a need in your heart and in your life to repent. See, when Christ looked at the church at Ephesus and he says, I will remove my lampstand, I will, I will remove you. What he is saying is that if the majority of the people in that church, if, if that church is characterized by a loss of its first love, then it is no longer doing what the church is designed to do first and foremost. And that is the worship and praise of Almighty God. See, it's very easy to over time slip into the place where we go through the motions of ministry and we get busy working to the point of exhaustion. And none of those things are wrong and none of those things are bad. But if they are, if we're doing all of those things, but we have lost our first love, there's a major problem. See, every year, thousands of churches in our country close their doors. They close their doors. People leave. You want to know why? Because Jesus left a long time ago. You go to these churches and there's no passion and there's no fervor and there's no repentance and there's no sense of God's presence and there's no expectation of God working. People are there and they're more concerned about their preferences than they are the mission that God has given them. And they care more about sitting in their seat, the same seat each Sunday, than they do about living in obedience to Christ. And in these churches, God is not moving and lives are not changing and eyes are dry and hearts are hard. And what we have to realize is that could be us. Do you realize that? That could be us. So all you have to do is come to a message and hear the warning from Christ and be challenged about your first love and leave unchanged and fail to remember and fail to repent. And Jesus says the, the church where that is the predominant response, then I'll leave is what Christ says. He will stop working and he will stop moving and he will stop providing and he will stop blessing. See, Christ knows our church. And it's one thing to sit back this morning and say, well, I hope our church isn't like that. But I want you to understand something. The only way our church is not going to be like that is if you are not like that. And if I am not like that. The only way we can honestly say our church is on fire for God is if us as the members of this church are on fire for God. And the only way we can say that we truly, our church truly cares and loves God is if we as individual people and individual families love God. And the only way we can say as a church that we are motivated by a love for people is if you as individuals here this morning are truly motivated by a love for people. See, we can't sit back and say, well, I hope our church does that because we are the church. So this morning, I'm not simply sitting back saying, let's pray for our church collectively. I'm challenging all of us individually. Have you lost your first love? Is there a time in your life where you can look back and you say, there's a time where the fire burned hotter and the flame was brighter and the passion for my relationship with God was more intense and I pursued it and I longed for it. And that love for God and that love for others drove and motivated everything that I did. But now it's not like that. I'm just busy. I'm tired. And I'm going through the motions. And nobody else knows it, but I know it, and Christ knows it. 
See, this morning, what you need to do is remember and repent. And as we each as individuals respond correctly to the word of God, as we each respond correctly to how God is speaking to us, then our church is transformed. So this morning I ask, will you remember? Will you repent? Will you commit to do what you used to do in your relationship with Christ? Christ says, Christ may be saying, I have something against you. You have lost your first love. And what I'm asking you to do this morning is let's fix that. Let's fix that. Let's not go another day where we're just going through the motions. It's tiring. I've been there. Let's let a love for God and a love for others drive everything we do. No longer working without love, but now we are working motivated by love. Will you stand with me this morning? I'm going to have a word of prayer, and then I'm going to challenge you to respond. I mean, what good is if we come and we hear a message and we hear from God, but yet we don't do anything? And you can respond where you are. If you'd like to come forward, I'll be down here. Pastor Jason will be down here. We would love to be able to talk with you and pray with you. But do business with God. Remember, repent, and then as we leave here in a little bit, do the works you did at first. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you have any questions or want to know more about having a closer relationship with Jesus Christ, please contact us online at hpbc.church. Please join us again next week as together we seek to know Christ and make Him known.